Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. I don't believe in God, but I do believe in the magic of my DNA coming from generations of someplace else. That is to say, maybe I believe in God. That is to say, maybe this is something. This program features the work of 2017 writer Ashlyn Runyon. Curator Jordan Amani Keith sat down with her for an interview. So tell me about your Jack Straw project, mm-hmm. um, the name of it, and why is it important to you to write this work? Yeah, so... My project is called Nothing is Sacred, Everything is Holy, um, which is the name of a poem that I've written before, but I think encompasses a lot of the things that I am thinking about in all different types of my work. And so I set out to write a chapbook of poems that explored my relationship to my family's history of being like very deeply Catholic and then my experience of not being quite that way. Um, which is very confusing, though, for me. Like, I, when I was a little kid, like, the older people in my family were convinced I had, like, mystical powers <laughs> um, for a while, which it just happens when you're, like, both Catholic and Mexican. And so I wanted to explore that more as a way of exploring myself and my family through, like, this lens of religion or spirituality or, like, mysticism in some way. And then also this idea that I've found that the most, like, sacred things are, like, incredibly mundane to me. Mm-hmm. It's, like, I live with my partner, and it'll be, like, him, like, leaving me, like, a cup of coffee in the coffee pot when he, like, leaves for work or school. I'm, like, wow, that's, like, beautiful and magical. Um, Or, like, just, like, walking around, and sometimes I'll, like, look at the city and just be, like, whoa, like, maybe I like it here. Like, I don't know. Like, it feels very different all of a sudden, and it'll just be, like, because the sky is a certain shade of blue that I like. Um. So things like that feel, like, incredibly powerful to me, whereas, like, sitting in church never felt that way. And so I'm really interested in, like, what that means in my life. You speak about everything is holy. And what I heard from that is the holy is every day. And still there is a physical space that is often designated to remind us of some other sort of sacredness or Mm -hmm. divinity. And that is often the cathedral. Does the physical cathedral show up in your work or in your consciousness? I think so, but I think it's, like, very hidden for me. Um, My grandfather used to go to church, like, every day, not so much to Mass, but just to be be in a church. And I think it has something to do with, like, having so much that you need to say, but not knowing where to put it. And I think that the big space of a church or a cathedral especially is a good place to put all of that and have it like escape your body. And so I think that maybe that is something that I feel now that I'm trying to be like more keyed in to these other parts of myself that I like to shut off a lot. But yeah, I think that it's a good place to let go of a lot of things that maybe are too big to be held anywhere else. Mm. 
But yeah, so was going to write a chapbook because I liked the idea of a chapbook and then quickly found that I don't like the idea of a chapbook at all. Um, So alongside writing, I'm also like a fiber artist. And I've decided instead to write the poems that I would be writing in the chapbook, but instead of collecting them in a book, I'm going to write each of the poems out on fabric and make a quilt that can be hung out of it because I thought that it made more sense for me to have this like poem that is, if anything, like a practice of like exploring what it means to hold very mundane things as sacred or to hold like myself and the things that I love as sacred. In what way might the quilting of your words Mm -hmm. be a guidepost for people? I don't know. I I hope that it would be in some way, but that seems like quite a lot to happen. Um, But I mean, I I think that now more than ever, it's important for people who, for everyone, but especially people who hold certain identities to be making work and showing that to people, which I keep telling myself because I keep trying to like hide away all of the things that I make. Um, But yeah, I'm like a mixed race queer woman. And I feel like that's very important especially right now. And you express the complexity of moving through this time, claiming everything is holy. Even the wrestling (laughs) is holy. I know in the tradition called Catholicism or Christianity, that wrestling is paramount. What angel are you wrestling with Hmm. to get this work? Yeah, I think, I think at times myself, which in the biblical story of Jacob wrestling, there have been theologians that have been like, maybe that's just a metaphor for him engaging with himself and all the questions that he has, which I think is really powerful as an idea that like you are both like the human and the divine and that that is very complicated for people to try and understand and we don't like it so we fight that and I feel like I'm doing that in many many ways and so I feel that oftentimes it feels like I'm just fighting myself because no one else is telling me any of the things that I'm working against or through so I feel like if anything yeah the angel that I'm fighting is a part of me um which means obviously it's not just myself. It means that it's like my family and everyone I've ever encountered in any way um, because that's what the self is. But yeah, I think it's at least, if not completely just who I am, it is a part of me that I am like fighting and wrestling with. In a time of turmoil, Mm. fabric of many things gets pulled apart. And listening to your work and the gift of your grandfather and hearing people experiencing the horror of having their family ripped apart by the viciousness of deportation. Mm -hmm. In that context, what story, maybe of yours or someone else's, written or told, can some way sow us? So when things were going on, election nonsense, I 
very calmly texted my mom and was like, I really would like to know who you and dad voted for. And my mom was like, well, like, I obviously voted for Hillary because, duh. And I was like, okay, well, that's not a full answer. Like, I want to know what else. And found out that my dad voted for another person. And I was so angry. I'm still very angry. And I was like, well, I'm never speaking to him again. I was so mad because I was so scared for myself and all of my friends. And I took many days of not talking to either of them because I was like, mom, like, that's unacceptable. Like, what did you do? Like, expect my mom to do that work. Like, that's not her job. But I was mad. And I'm like, their child. So I was like, ah, I'm mad at both of you. And then I wrote this incredibly long email to my mom just explaining to her, like, what is going on in, like, my world and, like, why I'm feeling this way. And then she sent me this, like, beautiful response back that was basically just, like, talking about how she is trying really hard to, like, have these conversations with my father about, like, race and gender and all of these things, which I had no idea. And, like, I didn't even know my mom was thinking about those things um, and how she's, like, talking to the women at work about all of these things and, like, trying to make... She's, like, putting in a lot of work, and she never has, like, before. That's, like, never been a thing that she's wanted to do. And so I think my mom is, like, newly politicized. And then a couple of weeks ago, my dad calls me to, like, ask me how he can start donating to Planned Parenthood monthly. Or, like, he'll text me and be like, oh, like, I read this on the news. Like, is that happening in Seattle? Like, what's going on? Like, are you okay? Like, how are all of your friends? And, like... So in, like, small ways, he's, like, putting in some work, too. And so I think in terms of, like, a moment of pulling apart, I was like, I'm done with this. Like, this has, like, fractured my relationship with my family. And now it's, like, getting pieced together in this really beautiful way of, like, everyone putting in the amount of effort that, like, they can where they're at. And I just think that's like really beautiful. And I try to remind myself that every day because everyone's someplace else in terms of like where they're at in their lives, but everyone needs to be doing work. And it's really amazing to be seeing people, especially my father who like has never once in his life thought about doing that, like trying his best to make up for like not understanding what was going on and like what has been going on in his life and like in the world. That is the sewing together. Now we'll hear a selection from Ashlyn's live reading. I don't believe in God, but I do believe in the magic of my DNA coming from generations of someplace else. That is to say, maybe I believe in God. That is to say, Maybe this is something. The reason all this felt so big was because I've been wondering if there's a link between me not writing and my grandfather not living. I've also been wondering if there's a link between me feeling like I have to be a writer, even though so much of me wants to try something else, anything else, and my grandfather not being here to tell me it's okay to change my mind. I've been wondering if there's a link between me feeling like I have to say, I'm a writer, I swear, and wanting to prove that I'm worthy of appreciation by men. I don't want to write anymore. I say this when I'm depressed, and I say this when I'm feeling really good. That makes it confusing. (laughs) But 
I think what I mean when I say I don't want to write anymore is that I don't want to call myself a writer anymore. I don't want to feel like reading is work. I don't want to feel like I have to impress an editor with how articulately I can express my sadness. I don't want to feel like I'm only good for my sadness. I want to value finally knitting a properly fitting sweater as much as writing a poem. I want to feel like I'm a person worthy of any amount of goodness if I don't write for other people anymore. I want to see what it's like to keep something to myself. I think this will be incredibly difficult. I think it will be incredibly difficult because it already has been. I'm addicted to sharing myself with the world. I think it's because I want to get rid of myself or maybe prove to myself that I exist, I don't know. I think a lot about what would happen if I did one single thing for myself and didn't feel like I needed to tell anyone. Maybe nothing, maybe everything. I wonder if I do all of this because I'm missing something. I definitely feel a lack, a near constant absence. How dramatic. It's true though. For the past three years, I've thought it was because of Spanish, that so much of me missed hearing it in the place that I live. I think that's at least part of the answer. I think this because the other day my partner asked me how to say something in Spanish. I need to wake up at eight o'clock. Very simple stuff, but I've never loved him more. I want more than anything to tell my grandfather about him. Maybe I can. I read that mothers are made stronger because of leftover DNA from their child. We don't get to keep all of the parts of us. We're scattered from the very beginning. I get that. I feel like parts of me get cut out while I'm sleeping so that every morning something new is missing that I cannot name or speak of. I don't really want to be telling you this, but what else is there to tell? I'm sitting here waiting for the pieces to come back. I'm afraid if I move, they won't find me. This doesn't seem unlikely. I've been picked apart by things that don't exist. I used to want to bleed from my hands and feet so that people would love me and pray over my body. I think that sort of early thinking is what got me here. Yesterday, I said, I tried to climb out the window. That's not exactly jumping. That's not exactly not jumping. You aren't supposed to say these sorts of things. You aren't supposed to write them down and show people. But where else am I supposed to put them? Two. This isn't quite what I wanted to write. I wanted to say that there are small plants that grow through cracks in the sidewalk and that knowing that makes me want to live more. But it doesn't. That's not what I want. I want to be the whole goddamn tree, but no one is telling me how. I wanted to write something like Genesis, something like being born. This isn't quite what I wanted to say. Three. The grocery store by my apartment smells like rotting fruit. Sometimes I go there and spend all my spare change on oranges. When I cut into them, they're rotted and I have to throw them away. I keep going back. In this situation, I am the oranges as much as I am myself. In this situation, I am as much the spare change as I am the knife. That is to say, it's not all bad. That is to say, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. That is to say, one day I will eat an orange. I will stop cutting myself open and seeing something dying. Four, on the one year anniversary of your death, I worked a 12 hour shift. I didn't build an altar. I didn't read the paper. I didn't go to church. 
but I do smell your breath sometimes, or I feel your hands attached to some other body, or I hear your voice. There's a customer who has your kindness, who speaks to me in Spanish. There's a grandfather running errands with his grandson, stopping in for coffee. There's a boy born in May who I think found some parts of you and brought them back to me. Five. I saw two pigeons eating rice on the concrete outside a market on my way to work. I thought of it expanding in their stomachs. I thought of small violence we do not see. I thought of all the rice thrown at weddings and all the birds eating it. I thought of loving someone and how that can change nothing. I thought of loving someone and how that can change at least some things. Six. Sometimes when I pour a beer at work, I think I'll throw up. Sometimes when I pour a beer at work, I think I'll go to the shed and drink a Rainier in one minute. Sometimes I think about a version of myself throwing up in my bathroom, of my roommate bringing me water. I feel small and naked, but I also feel like this is what I deserve. In the morning, she makes me pancakes. I think of a version of myself that said, if I die very slowly, people won't suspect anything. I've gotten many gifts from my family. I don't sunburn easily, for example, but this is not one of them. I'm applying for jobs where the only thing I have to worry about is that I'm allergic to dairy. I'm trying to find more ways to say, yes, I would like to be alive, thank you, instead of saying, I don't want to die anymore. These are similar things. One is on the way to the other. Sometimes I think of a version of myself eating three times a day holding my hands out and seeing what happens. These are small things. One is on the way to the other. Seven. Two brothers come into work and order the same pizza every week. They look vaguely like me in that they have dark brown hair and white skin. Because of this, I like to imagine they're my brothers too. I like to imagine a world where I'm not as lonely, where I'm a part of something. They tell me shyly about the people they're dating. They don't ask me many questions. We have the same stories from when we were small. We fill in the parts we can't remember. Heavy things feel lighter, and lighter things feel full. Thank you. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production. The 2017 curator of this program is Jordan Amani Keith. This episode of Sound Pages was produced by Alyssa Keene and Daniel Gunther. Recording engineers are Daniel Gunther, Joel Maddox, and Tom Stiles. Narrator is Alyssa Keene. And executive director of Jack Straw Cultural Center is Joan Rabinowitz. Theme music by the Steve Griggs Ensemble, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase, and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.